Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 218, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, should an annual plan really be digested in 90-day pieces? We'll discuss. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, our guest tells us how you can lead with grace. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by a friend, Director of Curriculum and Instruction and co-host of Class Dismissed, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing today? Of joy, right? Optimistic, and it's it's um looking like a tough spring for me. I'm sorry to hear that. Anything you want to share? Or is it more like ah, I'm just going to work through it? I, well, I, I am just going to work through it, but I like being transparent and honest. That things aren't always rosy my direction. Um, I try to be positive and have a, a good outlook no matter what's going on. But these last few weeks have been a bit testy, a bit stressful. And um, we're going in the spring break, so I should be really excited about that. But I have a ton of things to take to take care of before spring break. And then right after spring break, state text testing kicks off. And as curriculum director, you know, all you want is to see achievement um, improve and students grow. So just a lot on my mind. Would you say that's like one of your biggest measuring sticks for your position is test scores? In my opinion, yes. Yeah. Um, the impact on teaching and learning has to do with improved practices based on our professional development, which should yield improved student achievement um, rates. And so, yes, I take it very personally. And although I'm not, you know, in charge of the entire district as curriculum director, I personally just feel I am responsible um, you know, for all of that. So yeah, I take it personal. Well, don't put too much weight on your shoulders. Uh, and I know you guys are going to do great. Um, seems like every school district that you touch always seems to have improvements. So, um, there's a reason you're in that position. Well, I appreciate that. All right. I want to share a story, um, about an interaction I had with my son recently. And it's funny how sometimes kids see things that the rest of us adults may not recognize. And, he was talking about eating lunch with his friends. And I knew that during the past few years, during all the COVID restrictions we've had, he, they had been going to get their lunch in the cafeteria or if they already had it and they would bring it back to their classroom and eat at their desk. I think that's been happening at schools all over the nation. Um, but he was talking about eating with friends that I knew he didn't have class with. And I said, Hey, are they letting you guys eat lunch together um, back in the cafeteria? And he was like, yeah. And he just kind of said it like, you know, yeah, they are. And I thought, why is that a bad thing? Like, why did he have that tone? Well, how long has that been going on? Uh, I would say a matter of weeks, maybe a month. I don't know. And perhaps because when they changed the seating arrangements and the number of children eating at the same time, it may have given some children a little peace of mind to eat their lunch without all the ruckus. Well, and, it, and it maybe a little bit of that, but this is what he said. He said... You know, Dad, he's like, you know, I sit with my friends. I don't have a problem. But it really hurts me to see all these kids who haven't eaten with anybody 
in year and a half, two years. And now they're having to figure out where they're going to sit at lunch and they don't have anyone to sit with. And he's like, I said said to myself, are we really going back to this? Because it was actually better before. And I thought, wow, I I didn't, I never really looked at that from from that perspective. And, you know, we always talk about like good things that come out of COVID. You could argue that there might've been a better model, not saying that we shall eat at our desk, but just that social anxiety that he was watching all of his classmates have in the cafeteria was something that children didn't have to deal with over the past 18 months. No. And I didn't think about that, especially if they're a freshman or a sophomore. Right. I know you, you've been isolated somewhat, um, you know, and so for a lot of kids out there, and I, I would say, I'm just guessing, like from my experience in high school, I would say it's probably 30% of the kids out there probably preferred to be able to get their lunch and go back to their desk and not have to deal with that daily anxiety, you know? And so it's just interesting, just a different perspective I wanted to share. Well, I, I appreciate you for sharing that. It's something that um, we all need to think about. Right. All right. So uh, today I was going to bring up a story that I saw. It actually came out of educational leadership. And um, I'm curious to see your thoughts on this. And you may have already been thinking this way or you may totally disagree. So here it is. Robin Jackson, who is a teacher slash consultant um, mm-hmm. with Mind Steps, uh, she says that she's lost faith in an annual school improvement plan. For example, you'll have throughout the course of the year, an annual timeline, you'll have an influx of new students, you'll lose a key teacher, a pandemic, and something will kind of throw your annual plan off course. Um, And there's some other examples that they give in there. So her suggestion is, and here's where I want you to chime in. Her suggestion is we need to quit doing annual plans and we need to do 90-day improvement planning rather than yearly. What are your general thoughts? I mean, it's a good idea, but a good leader understands that when you project and plan for a year, Mm -hmm. that you monitor and adjust even more than, even less than with 90 days, maybe once a month. Um, I've always done that is we establish an annual plan because it's required um, um, for a number of different regulations. Right. And then we monitor and adjust along the way because you have interim data to consider, um, attendance, population changes, all of those things. And then you make adjustments and resubmit. Maybe she's saying that for those that require like federal regulations, that we should submit 90 day plans. But even then, when you submit a 90 day plan, you may have to monitor and adjust it two or three weeks in. So she says with the 90 day plan, it's easier to predict events over the next 12 weeks rather than 12 months. So there'll be fewer unexpected roadblocks in each planning cycle that's implemented. Um, She says at the end of each 90 days, the leadership team can assess how things are going and and then apply new insights. But I guess if I'm hearing you right, you're saying we do that anyhow, even if it is. We do. Absolutely. Um, When I was a building level principal, I met with my leadership team every week. And the leadership team is not just school administrators. Remember now that can include counselors, interventionists, um, department chairs, grade level chairs. We met regularly. I met with my actual administrative team nearly every day. We had some type of debriefing meeting, whether it was in the morning or in the afternoon, based on events that happened that day. And we would make adjustments to our procedures or, you know, things that we wanted to communicate to parents. And then with the leadership team, we met several times throughout the month and we always analyzed um, every form of data possible and made adjustments. And then, of course, those core people on the team would then go back and communicate that to their departments or grade levels so that we could get buy-in. Um, I think everything she's saying is 
legit um, and important to consider um, and possibly even uh, one of the best recommendations for novice administrators. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and you and her are actually very much in line with what you just said, because she says um, the right frequency of check-in meetings. So she does believe in just what you were saying. She says, have a daily 15-minute end-of-the-day huddle um, in which everyone reports on what they've done that day to advance the 90-day plan or, I guess, whatever, Mm -hmm. the yearly plan. And um, the word huddle, I think we need to to define what a huddle looks like. Cause I, I used to have a, a general manager and he would say, you know, we only are going to do huddles on a daily basis. And that means like, that's the type of meeting that you can pretty much have standing up. Like ne- not everyone needs to gather around a conference mm-hmm. table to discuss this. It's going to be quick. Is that, that's what you think, right? Um, sometimes we would meet in the morning. I was always the first one to arrive. And then my APs would come to my office or, you know, or we, we would, we would be the three of us within the main office. Um, we always arrived much earlier than the teachers and we would have a quick huddle. Sometimes a huddle happened after lunch because we needed to change lunch procedures. We saw something that students were, you know, trying to be slick with or something. Sometimes it was right after the last bus. Um, left. So yes, we definitely believed in huddles. Um, They weren't always around the table, but what was important is that um, we always took notes either in a Google Doc or some type of note where we could come back and follow up. That was something that was just a non-negotiable for me, not just to huddle and say we huddled, but we documented so that we could, you know, make sure if tasks were assigned or needed, then there was follow-up. Christina, I think you could have written this article just with maybe like a different headline because she also says use a scorecard to track leaning and lagging indicators. (laughs) So, I mean, you guys are very much in line. I think the only main differentiator where where she's saying is like, let's let's call it a 90-day plan rather than an annual plan. And you're basically like, let's call it an annual plan, but continue to adjust every every day in 90 days and so forth. Um, but I think the 90-day plan, um, because you got to remember, I'm 23 years in and administrators coming in now have a ton of, you know, um, heavy things on their plate that uh, a lot of veterans may not be dealing with. Like, you know, I've been a principal during the pandemic, but there may be building level, I mean, district level administrators who didn't serve in a building during the pandemic. So with all of those different changes and things that were thrown at us and we had to figure out what to do, perhaps, perhaps switching to the 90 day plan would be better for um, building level leaders right now, especially those with less than five ex- five years experience. Yeah, you just said something I did not think of about like how many people came on board in a Zoom format, you know, whether that was mm-hmm. a teacher moving into an administrative position or maybe even a teacher mm-hmm. coming out of university and then heading, Correct. you know, into a, I'm a Zoom teacher from day one. Like what a weird adjustment they must have had to make. Uh, Major adjustment, especially for those who usually conduct their practicums and student teaching experiences in the classroom mm-hmm. with a supervising teacher. They, they weren't allowed to do those, um, those programs point. and those courses. So they observed via Zoom, but they did not get the true experience that they need. And I think that that's probably going to show us a gap in our new teacher hires as well. And that's funny you say that because I was, I've watched this happen on a daily basis as I pick up my little girl from elementary school. Um, for the past year, I hadn't noticed this until like the past couple of weeks, I start to see extra cars in the parking lot. And I watch this flood of young teachers pour out of the school as I'm pulling into the car line, like they're wrapping up their day. And yeah, yeah. I think that was, this is a new thing. Like this, we skipped that for a year, year and a half. And we never really talked about that. That's very true. So one suggestion I just have is something that we did this year um, as a part of our new, to- new teacher academy. 
is we encourage building level leaders to give those first and second year teachers opportunities to observe um, their peers within the building. You know, we want them to observe their perfect teachers, but you also want to observe in classrooms that aren't necessarily perfect so that they can learn how to make adjustments in the middle of a lesson. It's just a great tip. Yeah, that is great advice. Yeah, because we can't we can't leave those folks behind. You know, we got to We yeah. got to continue to check in with them. Good discussion. I'm glad we had it. Christina, thank you for setting me in line to say that an annual plan can be a 90 day plan just kind of depends on how you do it. And you got to do it right. That's so. right. So are you ready for today's bright idea? Yeah, bring it on. All right. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is here to give us a few pointers on how people in leadership roles can have difficult conversations. Minnesota principal and author Jessica Cabine is the author of Hacking Early Learning and Lead with Grace, just to name a couple of the books. Jessica, thanks for chatting with us on Class Dismissed. Oh, it's an honor. I'm excited to be a part of this, this community. So thanks for inviting me. Yeah, and I was reading uh, through a few different articles, and I came across something you wrote in uh, Principal Leadership. It was titled, Leading with Grace Through Difficult Conversations. And and it really just struck me as, as great advice um, for anybody who um, finds himself in a leadership role and needs to have these difficult conversations, especially if you kind of come up through maybe the ranks uh, and, and you're in a school that maybe you once were, say, a teacher in, and now you're an assistant principal or principal, um, and just kind of how you can navigate um, leading, I guess, people that maybe you've worked with in a lateral role in, in previous times. Um, is that kind of what you were thinking when you're writing this? Or is that just how I interpreted it? No, absolutely. And I think so often, especially new leaders, aspiring leaders, lead with a title um, instead of their authentic self. And so they they lead in the way they perceive or see on social media or read about, and then they lose who they are. And, and leading with grace is really kind of taking all of the parts of you and and moving forward in a way that that people still know who you are and you know who you are. And that's even more important is, is you have to be grounded in you and your why and your how, and then you can you can move forward with others. You being a principal, I mean, was that something you kind of learned along the way or something you just kind of grasped pretty quickly? Oh, I learn it every day. <laughs> Every day I lead with grace, which is just learning something new every day and forgiving yourself along the way. That's kind of my mantra because I think, um, especially during COVID, uh, we're we're navigating such new territory. And if you're not willing to engage in tough conversations and be willing to to walk in knowing you don't actually have the answers because we've never had this happen before, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be that vulnerable and transparent really opens up dialogue for people to to be able to share their concerns and their struggles and, and what's stressing them out right now. I mean, for me, when I was um, in, a, in a leadership role, I kind of learned, um, you know, I would reflect afterwards after I'd have these difficult conversations. And I felt like I got better along the way. But I mean, when I reflect on it, there were things that I didn't do right out the gate was... Do you have any moment in your life where you kind of started to reflect and you thought, all right, I could have done X or Y better? Oh, all, all the time. And, and actually, I think... More recently, I've been willing and opened myself up to receiving feedback after difficult conversations. If it's multiple people in a room or, mm-hmm. you know, if you're in, if you're in a conversation that requires like union representation and things afterwards, I, you know, I'll come back and just say, could I have said that differently? Could I have said that any better? Um, or sometimes I'll go through these conversations and I'll have someone just give me feedback because uh, I know that there's things that I just need to work on in order for my message to be heard and not hurtful. Uh, I know you've got a few tips in this particular article, and we'll kind of run through them, and, and maybe you can elaborate. So one of them is, don't worry about being hated. Yeah. Do you want to like or lead? That's like, that's, I think that's the key, especially 
for new leaders. You you see that everybody, you know, you hand out gifts and cards of gratitude and and likes and getting things in return, but um, that doesn't always translate to to full transformational leadership. I leadership is making difficult decisions and sticking to your your ground and and moving forward and not negotiating things. And that's really hard because so many people get into this work because they they crave working with others, serving others and and being liked. And and that's not always what you can do in some of these more difficult conversations. I remember there was a moment um, when I was at a Christmas party after taking over a leadership role. And the previous years at the Christmas party, everyone wanted to sit with me and hang out with me. But after I'd been in the role for a little bit, yeah. I felt like I was it was it was a little lonelier at the top, if you will. And um yeah. But but I guess I mean that is kind of what you have to accept somewhat as a leader, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have and setting some boundaries, and and that's really hard, especially like you mentioned at the beginning. If you're moving up the ranks within uh, an organization, a school, uh, your relationships change, and you have to set some boundaries around that because uh, it's important for not only you but the other people involved. You you want to make sure that their relationships with their colleagues are are maintained and professional too. So it is hard, um, but then what it also gives you an opportunity to is to expand your network and to collaborate and connect with other principals, maybe within your community, maybe on social media, at conferences, things like that. So it, it opens up new levels of friendships and new circles too. You say, keep it professional and don't take things personally. What do you mean by that? Yes. Oh my goodness. Um, that can really skew your interactions with someone. And I think so much of our work is in our heads. <laughs> we overthink so much of what other people think of us. Mm-hmm. So, so you could, for example, have an interaction with someone and then think, oh, I think they hate me or, oh, I think they're just mad at me and then have that in your mind. So every time you see them, you think that and, and they've probably moved on. Honestly, half the time, they don't even remember what you wore yesterday. Like people don't spend as much time thinking about you as you really think. And so being professional around that, um, and, and if somebody does have a negative interaction, you just really want to circle back and try to maintain that relationship or regain some ground on that moving forward so they don't feel like you're going to continually be, quote unquote, out to get them. That's a lot of times what people think. And so it's trying to find those intentional, meaningful moments to connect with them again and just say, hey, I know we had this interaction. I know we had this conversation. But if you truly believe in them and the work that they're doing and you want to coach them to get better, they're going to see that and and want to improve for you too. Yeah, I guess. So do you, it sounds like this is what you're saying. Like if you have that difficult conversation, say with, with an employee and, and then you make an effort a day or two later to kind of, you know, break the ice after the difficult conversation yes. to have something more casual to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because it just seems like the longer the pause, the more awkward it becomes. And, and one other thing too, and, and I would stress this, especially in this, in this new way of learning and communicating where it's through zoom and through emails and things, if they're hard conversations, make a phone call or meet in person, or meet on Zoom, or Teams, or whatever, don't ever send it in the email. Email just can continually um, fuel to fire instead of diffusing right. it, because you can't really read through a person's intonation, their voice, their their kindness, their caringness, their concern. You just see the written communication. And so that's where, especially um, on the receiving end too, sometimes I'll just call someone and say, hey, I'm reading this email. Can you help me understand it? Because otherwise you might internalize something that was not ever what their intention was. One of your tips is focus on what you can control. I guess that's within the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I and that's been really important um, 
in conversations with staff and there's a teacher, most teachers here, when I meet with them, they're like, oh my gosh, here she goes. The first thing I always ask is, how are you? No matter Mm -hmm. what we're going to talk about, I always make time to start with you as a person first before we get into the professional business, because I just think it's important that everybody knows even more so in this season that as a leader, I care about you and your mental health and your well-being, because the more your cup is full, the better full you are to share with your students and the families you serve. And so I think that's, I always just say, okay, what can we control in this situation? How are you taking care of yourself? Are you sleeping? Are you eating? Are you taking time away from this computer? And that really helps to um, make everything else kind of go back into place and perspective. You mentioned that you, you've you learned to pause and take three deep breaths and kind of jot down your fears if if you're starting to get upset in a in a meeting with somebody. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and actually at home too with two teenage boys. But it, it there is something with just that um the tense in our shoulders, the the anxiety inside, the boiling pot over, just s- stepping back, stretching your back, taking a deep breath, jotting some things down, just kind of helping control your thoughts uh, before they escape your mouth. <laughs> if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Um, and, and lastly, you kind of recommend to empathize. And this is natural for some people and, and not so much for others. So I guess I would say, what would you say to the person that has trouble empathizing, but is in that leadership role? Um, so this this was actually a skill set I needed to, to learn. And I spent time reading books on, on mindfulness and um, being present. And so empathy for me is also having a better understanding of the person I'm working with or speaking to. So having empathy for others also means like in a school is like if you're going to have a conversation with a staff member, what do you know about them? If you're going to have a hard conversation with someone and you don't know if they're single or they're married or how their home life is or what their favorite activity is, kind of like our kids. If we want our kids to to grow and be inspired and, and work with us, if, if we don't know about them, they don't really want to get to know us. And so that's been really helpful for me. And before I enter conversations that are difficult, I, ha- I take a step back and I think about, is there anything going on in this person's life professionally or personally that might be impacting their day-to-day decisions? And sometimes I have that door to open with them too, to say, is there something going on that I might not just be aware of that's mm-hmm. impacting, you know, things that are going on. And then that's when we can go in and work on, you know, do you, do you need some more support here at school? Do you want us, our coach to come in? Do you, do you have resources to speak with a counselor? I think so often we just jump to people not doing what we want them to do without taking a step back and seeing, is there anything else going on? why they, they're not performing to the level that they probably want to as well. Uh, your most recent book um, titled Lead with Grace, Leaning into the Soft Skills of Leadership. I mean, what was really your goal there? What, why did you decide to write that? I've been doing consulting work with uh, school leaders and going to conferences and connecting with with leaders. And and they led with their title and they lost their sense of mm-hmm. self. And, and leading with grace and those soft skills, I think, really help you make sure your message is heard. I, th- I think too often we we think we're supposed to say it in this way and in this tone in one way and and if they if somebody comes back and says well I don't know that well that was in an email like that's not building relationships with anybody uh, and so really leading with grace those soft skills are really the essential skills that are going to help leaders get to that next level and and just be a better 
for themselves and the community they serve. I like that leading with your title, but I think sometimes people who lead with their title may not realize it. So so help me kind of finish this thought. Mm-hmm. You might be leading with your title if... You are in your office more than you're in the halls. Mm-hmm. You are leading... This is a really good, Nick. I like this. You are um, leading with your title when you're not listening, when you might be multitasking when someone's having a conversation with you. You might be leading with your title if you're in a meeting and on your email at the same time. When you're not being really fully connected and present um, because you're thinking you have to get to the next thing or you have to be that for the next person and you're not in the moment, um, you're not fully engaged in in learning how to navigate situations uh, as they arise. Jessica, it is uh, fantastic advice. Uh, I really love it. And um, if somebody wants to keep up with you, I guess you seem pretty active on uh, Twitter. Is that correct? Yeah. And uh, trying the Instagram. Middle school principal, I'm trying some of the... I'm, I'm not I'm not much of a Snapchatter yet, I'm going to be honest. But the kids got me on the Instagram, so I'm working... And I said the Instagram. I sound like an 80-year-old <laughs> grandma right now. But um, right. but yeah, I'm working on, the ins- on Instagram and on Twitter. And then on Facebook, it's Principal In Balance is my page, where I try to post resilient activities, resources, and just supports for educators. So if somebody wants to keep up with you on Twitter, it looks like your handle is uh, Jessica... Cabine. Uh, Cabine. And yep. um and Instagram is that the same handle? Yep. Yep. Great. And then I, I do have a website. It's not awesome, but it's not awful, but it's up there as well and all my information's linked too. Excellent. Well we really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Are you ready for our uh, pop quiz? Oh my gosh. I you you teased me with this at the beginning. So yeah, yeah, I've been looking forward to it. All right. First question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Oh, I love it. Well, I'm just going to, I'm going to plug at Ellis Middle School. We started an academic coach this year with COVID and I, and I'm going to have a hard time losing that. And it's an, it's a course in which kids are focusing on social emotional learning, organizational skills in gaining the technology supports they need. So when they go home on the hybrid days, they know how to get into Schoology, into their portal, how to send an email, all while also spending time with mindfulness. And then this quarter, we're moving into college and career readiness. So it's just been a really fun course to see evolve over the this year. That sounds fantastic. Now, uh, what are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Oh, I think more passion genius hour opportunities. It's never too young to start figuring out what you want to do when you grow up. And I think too often we we put ourselves into little pockets. And so giving kids chances to really dream big, even at middle school is super important. What does every child deserve? An adult that cares about them. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Pivoting. <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah, I think it's um it's the the instant innovation that we're doing this year at such a fast pace. Mm-hmm. What's the best gift to give an educator? Praise, encouragement. Which teacher changed your life? Mm, my mother. Was she a teacher or just just a yep. mother? Yep. Yep. That's great. Yep. Uh, what'd she do? What, what kind of stands out for you? She uh, was a speech pathologist for, uh, we lived in a smaller community up in Northern Wisconsin. And so she was pre-K-12. So whatever building I was in, my mother was there. 
I could be a kindergartner. And then when I was in high school on Thursday, she was at the high school. And I just, um, her compassion and empathy for others and how she served her students from age two to age 21 and the connection she continued with them through adulthood really um, helped me see such value and important, not only in relationships with the students you serve, but their families and their their networks. And last question, pen or pencil? Ooh, flare pens. Pens. Flare pens. All right. Again, uh, the book is Lead with Grace, and the author is Jessica Cabine. We appreciate you uh, joining us on Class Dismissed. You'll have to come back on in the future. Oh my gosh, this is so much fun. Great questions. Thanks again for having me. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismissed. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. Thank you.